0: Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Everybody say, get on board. Acts chapter 4. Let's finish our series we started a few weeks ago about getting on board with what God is doing. Acts chapter 4. This is a really cool portion of scripture where the early church is absolutely exploding in growth. And chapter 4, the plane has left the runway. Supernatural workings of the Spirit of God are happening in the church. They're now hit, being hit with the first wave of persecution from the religious leaders. And the Bible says in verse number 32, I want you to pray for me as we preach. Pastor Jake was talking about let's leave exhausted. I got done at 930. I was exhausted. I went, from, I went from, hey, we're going to talk our way through this to just having myself. I just plowed. I just kept plowing and preaching and had myself a time and wore myself out. So I want you to pray for me that I get through this alive. All right. Verse 32. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Look at verse 32 again quickly. The multitude of them that believed, check this out, were of one heart, and they were all of one soul. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a special harmony that happens when people come together in unity. There is a harmony that happens when a man and a woman get on the same page in a marriage across every aspect of the home from parenting to budgeting to how they spend their time together. Every area of the home becomes harmonized when the man and the woman walk together in unity. When a business or a place of employment has co-workers that are all on the same page. Some of y'all know the power in unity when you have people that can actually sit at a round table together. And even though they might have differing views, when they can all come together in agreement, there's a harmony in that unity. When a church can come together on the same page of agreement and be at unity, there's a harmony that comes with that. A lot of us are here because there was a time period in our life where we gave up on church. We didn't give up on God, but we gave up on church because we had a horrible church experience where people were never on the same page and everybody was at each other's throat and the, 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 the finance meetings and the, the deacon meetings and the trustee meetings became a tug of war over power and authority and uh, people splitting hairs over tradition and preference and you know falling out over what color to paint the walls or, or what color to pad the pews. And we, we've seen all that ugly and some of us ended up in, in the wilderness of religion and said, the heck with church because we've seen that division that gets created when there's no unity. And it's a powerful thing when a body of believers, people different backgrounds and different upbringing and even different, even different theological beliefs, when they all get on the same page, there is a harmony in that unity. I want to say this, that, that is a force you can't stop. That is a force that culture can't stop. That's a force that no demon and no devil in hell. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's there's power in that kind of unity. We were going down the road the other night and and I made the mistake of saying, what do y'all want to eat? You got one that wants P.F. Chang's, you got another one that wants Italian, you got another one that just wants a hamburger, and the other one just wants McDonald's. I love it when we're able to actually just settle those disagreements quickly with, what do y'all want to eat? And we all just say the same thing. from, From big matters to little insignificant matters, unity is important. You can turn on the news or you can open up your browser right now on your phone. And if you want to check what's going on across the world, I believe in my 38 years of living on this planet, I've never seen the world as disjoined and divided as it is right now. I've ne- in my lifetime, I don't remember ever seeing it like it is right now. Everywhere we look, division. Division. Everywhere we look, lines are being drawn. Left, right, this side, that side, pick a side. And I want to say this quickly. It is not supposed to be that way with God's people. It's not supposed to be that way in God's kingdom or with God's church. We must be unified. In fact, before Jesus ever left this planet, he prayed for unity in his people. He said this in John chapter 17. He said, neither pray I for these alone. Talking about his disciples. He said, but I'm also praying for them which shall believe on me through their word. 2,000 years later, the application is still aimed at us. He says, "What, what, what was Jesus praying? That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us. That the world, why does Jesus want his people unified? So the world will believe That Jesus was sent, and the glory which thou gavest me I've given them, and that they may be one, even as we are one. That story we just read, where everybody was on the same page, everybody was of one heart and of one soul, and people were selling their land, and they were bringing the money for the work of the ministry and for the need of the church, all of that was the initial fulfillment of what Jesus has prayed. And that fulfillment is still happening 2,000 years later. Now, there's something interesting I want to show you. We're 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 going to expand this. I'm ready to unpack this with you real quickly. There's a phrase in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 of the book of Acts that characterizes this unity. And the phrase is this, one accord Everybody was in one accord. Not, not, not that sedan that you drove when you were 16. One accord, meaning everybody was in one agreement. And we, and we see this throughout the scripture. They were in one accord regarding prayer. They were in one accord in the same place. They were one accord in practice. They were one accord in praise. Everybody was on the same page because everybody was in agreement. So if you look up the word, the phrase, one accord. And you figure out what that one agreement means, the meaning is almost musical. I wrote this down. It's like a number of notes being sounded, which each note being different, they all harmonize in pitch and tone. Picture the instruments of an orchestra under the direction of a concert master and he's orchestrating all of the music together so that the harmony and the unity are created. This is what the Holy Spirit right now is doing with his church. People of different backgrounds and different religion and different upbringing, God is taking the difference and diversity and he's orchestrating it all together so that many become one. This is what Jesus prayed for. This is what's happening in the story and this is the theme of where our church is at right now in November of 2020 that we would be in say it with me agreement one with another Amos said this can two walk together except they be agreed can two people walk arm in arm step by step in sync with each other If they're not agreed, don't they have to be on the same page? There's power. There is power in the agreement of God's people. God made it clear in his word that he does more in our agreement. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Deuteronomy tells us, watch this, one can chase a thousand, but two can chase 10,000. Jesus said that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, man, when I read the word, it makes me want to preach. He said, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. New Grace, I want you to know that God has ordained and established power in our agreement. He looked upon Adam in the garden of Eden and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. What I want to do in this kingdom and what I want to do on this planet and what I want to do with man, I cannot do it with him by himself. So he put Adam to sleep, performed the first surgery, extracted a rib from his side, made a woman, woke Adam back up and said, now replenish the earth what God had to establish was two because two are better than one Adam could not replenish the earth by himself it takes two to tango do I need to spell this out to y'all this morning So he gave man a woman and he told the two to produce fruit. Why? Because two are better than one. If two agree as touching anything, Jesus said, I can do it. There is power in agreement. So if I was the devil, I would do everything I could to create disagreement. If God has established and ordered Agreement, I as the devil, would do everything I could to create disagreement in every union of man and woman. I would do everything I could to create disagreement in every thriving, moving body of Christ. I would do everything I could to create disagreement, disjoin disconnection and division everywhere that God has established the order of agreement. Why because Satan knows what God can do when we agree on the same page. That's why he's after your marriage. That's why he's after the way you lead your business. That's why he's after the way you make God-centered decisions. That's why he tries to come between you and what the word of God has said. He just slides up next to you and he says, did God really say, just like he said to Eve, did God really say thou shalt not die? Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant? Because he wants to have you disagree with what God has established for your life. That's why why the very first thing, the moment we find ourselves in disagreement with God, the first step is confession. Because confess means to agree with. There is not a piece or a part of this property where we created a closet with two doors and a piece of lattice in between where you go in one side and I go in the other, and we don't look at each other to keep it awkward, and then you confess to me to receive forgiveness. We don't have that set up on the property. Somebody say, Amen. My God, you crawling cause with me, bless God, I'm gonna unload on you while I got you in there. You wanna tell me your dirt? Buckle up, honey, I'm about to spill my. Eye. No, 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 no. God says, God, God, God. we don't don't need the medium or mediator of a man. That's already happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Our intercessor died for us and rose for us. In the person of Jesus Christ, we can confess. What is that confession? It's you agreeing with God about where you disagreed, where I fell short, where I messed up, where I dropped the ball, where I made a mistake, where I sinned. Agreement is confession. There's power when you agree. It puts you back on the same page. It puts you back on the right path. It puts you back in the right frame of mind. It does give you a more productive, prosperous life when you agree with what God said. God just said, hey, this is a better way. And when you do it my way, it's going to be better. This is a fuller way. This is a more fulfilling way. And when you do it that way, it's God's way. It's a better way. Instinctively and naturally, there is a way that seems right to us. The proverb says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end of that way is death. It leaves you empty. It leaves you void. It leaves you full of mistakes and it leaves you full of of discouragement. But God said, there is a way that is my way. And when you agree with me in that way, we get in one accord and we are in agreement. So I want to say to you quickly, we need to be in agreement. We need to be in agreement about why this church exists. We need to be in agreement about where this church is going. We need to be in agreement about this opportunity that we're talking about right now in the piece of property. We need to be in agreement about the need, the dollar sign, the comma, and the decimal. We need to be in agreement about those things. And when I preach on this, when I talk about these things, for the most part, I sense an agreement in the room. I'd be a fool to think that from left to right, at both gatherings across the property, that we're in a 100 percent agreement. But I would have to think, based on what I'm sensing, by way of spirit, that we're in agreement why this church is here. We're in agreement who God is in our lives. We're in agreement that Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way, and that we're in agreement that we have an opportunity right here that God has created, and we cannot forfeit that opportunity. The early church was in. They were in one accord. They were in agreement. They were in. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm in. I'm in. in. Come on, tell them, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. What's it look like when you're in? Check out verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. I want you to underline that phrase, them that believed. And I wrote this down. Here's our first point. When you are in, there is something worth believing in. When you are in, there is something worth believing in. Let me submit this to you quickly. Everybody in the room is a believer. Not everybody's going to heaven. Let's just let that sit for a second. Let's let the reality of what I just said sit. Every person in the room is a believer. Not everybody's going to heaven. Everybody in the room is a believer. But not everybody's been transformed by the power of Christ. Everybody in the room is a believer. But not everybody's forgiven. Pastor Darren, what are you talking about? You're confusing the crap out of me. Everybody in the room believes in something, everybody has faith. Every self-proclaimed atheist has faith. Yeah, they believe there's nothing. That's what they believe. They believe there's nothing. You live on this planet and you leave this planet believing in something. And faith was meant to be placed in something. Everybody has a measure of faith. That faith, that's your belief. What do you place that in? What do you believe in? Now, my faith gets placed based on several things my faith gets placed in something based on explanation in other words if i hear it said or you speak it to me i have the option and ability to believe what you said for example if you come to me and you say hey pastor Derek, guess what i bought a 1992 dodge viper in that very moment when you share that information with me By way of your explanation, I now have the ability and the option to trust what you said and believe it as so. But what I'm probably going to do if you say, Pastor Derek, I bought a 1992 Dodge Viper. I'm probably going to say, I don't believe you. Let me see it. And you'll pull out a phone and you'll open up a photo. And there in that photo is a, night. sure enough, a red 1992 Dodge Viper. Because you went from explaining something to me to giving me an example. And now you have an example of what you're saying. I look at that photo, and I'm tempted to be persuaded. Oh, God, you said you got a 1992 Dodge Viper, and there it is on your phone. Wait a second. You're not in the picture. How do I know you didn't go to Google and just search Google images of a 1992 Dodge Viper and pull it up and save it to your phone? And then when you tell me you got a Dodge Viper, you just pull up a picture of one. See, you explained it. You gave me an example. But it's a whole world of difference. If you say, Pastor Derek, I got a 1992 Dodge Viper. Here's a picture of it. And here's the keys. God told me to tell you it's yours. <laughs> it's a big difference when you put the keys in my hand. We get in your car and we drive to your house and there it sits in the driveway. I open the door and get in, crank it up and hear that V10 purr, right? And then I drive it off. Guess what? It's different when we explain it versus an example versus when we experience it. When you experience it for yourself, it's different than hearing it from somebody else. When you experience it for yourself, it's different when seeing an example of it. Can I submit to you very quickly? I am so thankful and so glad that I don't just take somebody's word for it that God's good, that I don't just take somebody's word for it that Jesus saves, that I don't just take somebody's word for it that the church exists for people to experience new life in Christ. It's one thing for you to tell me and it's another thing for me to see it on your phone or see it in your life, or see it happen before my eyes. But ladies and gentlemen, it's a whole lot different when the keys are in your hand, when you're behind the wheel and when you push the gas and you feel the wind knock the hair off your head. Somebody talked to me this morning. It's a whole lot different when you experience it for yourself. And I want to stop and testify and say I'm thankful that what I got with God ain't based off what somebody told me or what somebody showed me. I did what the psalmist did. I tasted and saw for myself that the Lord is good that his mercy endures forever that his grace is unlimitless and his love is matchless does anybody in the room know what I'm talking about when I say I found out for myself and I place my faith I place my faith in it because I experienced it See, every person has something they believe in, but most people, there's something is not worth believing in. Why is that? Why is it most of us walk through life like a blind man, grasping and groping for something real, authentic, something fulfilling, something satisfying, and what we, we never get like a blind person and they can't find it. Why, why is that? Because this world This world has offered us bottomless belief. There's nothing to it. It's not grounded. It's not founded. There's no foundation in faith when it comes to the things of the world. Religion will throw you all kind of foundations, but there's no bottom to them. Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, good old boy Southern religion. There's no foundation in it. People put their faith and they put their belief and they put their stock in politics. If this side gets it, if this group gets it, if this government has it, if this individual lands it, and we put our faith in that just like we do religion. Individually, individually, many of us have got our faith in something that looks like a dollar bill. If I could just get this and I could just get there. Come on now, talk to me. If I could end up with this nest egg, if I could have this much retirement, if I could make this much money, if we could just get this raise, if we could get in this position, if we could get this level of comfort, our life would be better. If that is the case, why is it that so much of the world is always getting there and getting that, yet they're still empty? Why is it they land the job? Why is it they find their soulmate? How is it they get the five-bedroom, the four-bath, the three-car garage, the white picket fence, and the azaleas that bloom? Why is it they get there and it still ain't enough? Because it's a bottomless belief. It is the fallacy that if I can just get that or just get there, I will be fulfilled, I will be happy, and I will be whole. And there is no belief system in this world that has a foundation that can deliver like that of Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation that is solid. He is the only foundation that is established and settled. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to submit to you that Jesus Christ, He is the only foundation in which you can build your life, which you can place your faith, which you can take it to the bank. If I'm a betting man, my money's on Jesus. He will never let me down. He'll never lead me astray. He is fulfilling. He is satisfied. He can do for you what a job can't do. He can do for you what money can't do. He can do for you what a soul can't do, he can do for you what Buddha can't do, and Muhammad can't do, and Joseph Smith can't do, he can do for you what the Pope can't do, he can do for you what corporate America can't do, he can do for you what the White House can't do, he can do for you what the flag can't do. I wish I had somebody want to help me preach this thing this morning. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody feel me like Jesus. Can't nobody bless me. Can't nobody touch me. Can't nobody help me like Jesus. Somebody help me praise him if you know. It's true. It's true. He is a foundation. Yeah, he is. He's a foundation worth believing in. And his cause, his cross and his church are worth believing in. It's not bottomless. We were sold a bag of goods that doesn't deliver. The world's agenda tells us, get this, get there, get that. We got this. We got there. We got that. And it was bottomless. But then we got Jesus. And we got a part of what Jesus was doing. See, there's something to this. That's why you keep coming back. That's why you keep that's why you want more. That's why you want more of what he has to offer. It's why you want more of his church because there's there's something to this. It's solid. You can bank on this, I man. You can build on this. You can build more of a marriage, you can build more of your children, you can build more of your future. You can you can build on this. And people want something to believe in. One of the things that makes this place And this people, so amazing, is it gives people something to believe in. And when you're in, when you're in, your faith is in. your faith gets grounded in something that's founded. Let's give him praise in the house if you know. The church, the church, like it was in Acts 4, the church is something worth believing in. What do you believe in? What's got your heart? What has won your heart? What has your attention? What do you think about all week long? What do you want? What do you pray about? What do you wish for? What do you dream of? Is your life a part of anything that's making a bigger difference than nine to five? Is your world, is your world wrapped into something that's gonna last longer than a retirement plan? My God, the early church got it. Because it was a blessing to believe. When you believe in something like this, you just just become one of them faith folk. Like it doesn't, for a lot of people, it just starts and stops with the cross. But real faith, it starts with Calvary. That's just the beginning. What happened on that cross? That's the beginning. And your faith begins to grow and you're surrounded by all kind of examples and all kind of experiences that allow your faith to grow and begin. you begin to develop and something cultivates inside of you and you want more and more and you trust God for more and more and you believe God for more and more. And I don't think I've ever had a faith like I have right now. Like it's ridiculous that I've never seen God. I mean, some of you, I've heard you say it. I've heard some of you say it. And I don't, I don't, I'm not one to doubt, and I'm not one to validate what you say by your own experiences. Some of you, I've heard some people say, I've heard God audibly. That's awesome. I've never heard God audibly. I've never seen an angel. I've never had a vision except in dreams, and that was usually Taco Bell. if I'm being honest. But I I believe there is coming a day where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I will see him as he is even now. I'll stand before him and give an account of what I did with my life and the very waves of eternity will then begin to roll and I'll splend all of forever with God in heaven with those who were in Christ. I believe it. I live my life like that's true. I believe that. But I can't trust God when he calls on me to make a sacrifice. I can't trust God with things that are out of my control. And I don't want to take my faith that my whole livelihood is linked to and put it in something that is going to cost me something. No, right now my faith is bigger and it's bolder and it's far beyond anything I've ever had before. I don't know how to explain it. Like what I told you earlier, sitting, sitting with those, those, those three individuals, that's not like me. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. But God said, you're gonna do it? And I'm like, well, if I'm gonna do it, you gotta give me the boldness and the faith to do it. And I don't know how to explain it to him, but it's like he just did. It's like, just now do it. And like I was confident when I'm talking to these people, like, hey, you're a business person, right? And you know 2020 through the CARES Act you know this is the most ideal year you've probably ever had to give to a nonprofit organization because 100% of your adro- adjusted gross income is taxable. I didn't say that. <laughs> now that I'm saying it, I'm going, that probably would have been a good thing to say. <laughs> I went there to make a sales pitch, though. That's for them and their accountant to figure out. You know what I was doing? I was, putting, I was putting a foundation in front of them and going, hey, I don't know what you believe in because wherever your money goes is evidence of what you believe. You're going your, to put your pocket where your heart is. Didn't Jesus say that? Absolutely. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also, you'll find them in the same spot. So I don't know what you believe in. but I'm put, I don't know if anybody's ever done this to you, but I'm putting a foundation in front of you that's worth investing in. Because I got a room full of people twice on Sunday that are hook, line, and sinker on what God's about to do in our church. And we're going to do our best. And we may get there all by ourselves. But God told me to come to you and ask you if you want to help deliver the mail too. That's not like me. But right now I have just faith. It's worth believing in. But I want to show you something that happened with that early church that's happening with many of us right now. When you're in, it's not just about something worth believing in, it's about something worth buying in. It's a buy-in. People have a buy-in moment with God, watch this, where their talk turns to walk. They get to a point, watch this now, they get to a point where they put up or shut up. They get to a point where they're skin in the game. Because faith, and I've, I've said this before, I'm going to continue to say it. Faith means to act as if a thing is true. Faith is you actually do something about what you say you believe. Look at this. Look, we're, we're almost done. JJ, come help me close. Let's land a plane. Neither was there among any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses they sold them. Now, this is interesting. These people... They believed so much in what God was doing through the early church. There were actually people that sold their own property, took the money and brought it to the apostles and laid it at their feet and said, let's work with this to meet the needs of this ministry. Buy in. Everybody say buy in. Let me define it for you. A buy in is the acceptance of and the willingness to actively support and participate in something you believe in. That's what a buy-in is. A buy-in is the moment where you've become convinced in faith and now you wanna take action to back up what you said you believed. And I wrote this down. Everyone who's actually in agreement with what God's doing you're in agreement with what God's doing because at some point in your relationship with God and this church, you had a buy-in moment. You had a buy-in moment, which is you became convinced so much that this is what God wanted for you and that you were meant to be a part of it, that you turned your belief into buy-in and you took action. And I'm not tying that just to money. Something clicked in you and God got you and you put something on the table. You put your life on the table you gave up something that you held on to for decades. For many of you, you started giving and you bought in. Let me tell you the buy-in moments, and I've had them shared with me. I told this to 1130, I'll tell it with you. I've had people share me their buy-in moment where they were like, yep, that's it, I'm in. Never, never seen church like that, I'm in. Never been to church like that, I'm in. God's doing something for me when I come on this property that's never happened in my life, I'm in. For some of these people that have shared that with me, it was when they got saved. They came to this place, they were saved, they put their faith in Christ for the first time in their life, genuine belief in what Christ did, and they were saved. And their life's not been the same since. And that was their buy-in moment. For some people, it was when they heard my story and Ashley's story. When they heard what we went through, they heard what we come from and they heard how this church started and they heard how we were against the odds and how we should have been statistics and this church shouldn't even exist and they, they had that perspective of, oh my God, God brought you through all that and this church exists out of that pain and that was their buy-in moment because for some people, they're like, I've never heard a preacher say that. I've never heard somebody be that honest, that vulnerable, that raw. I'm in. For some people, it was as simple as you went to go pick your kid up and your kid's like, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. I want to, can we come back? Where well, you woke up on a Sunday morning ready to sleep in and your kid came down the hall and said, it's Sunday. Are we going back to that church? That was your buy-in moment. And you said, okay, I'm in. What's it going to take for me to be a part of this thing? For some of you, it was when we just preach biblical truth. I had somebody just say that to me recently. It was one of the favorite things I've heard this year. They said, I got hooked because I heard and I found out for myself that the Bible was being preached here, that you were actually taking scripture and you were breaking it down so it made sense, it was understandable, it was applicable, and it's livable. We really just want truth. Like At the end of the day, the core of who all of us are, no matter what kind of front you wanna put on, the deal is this, all of us really wanna know the truth. Dude, what's the truth? Like, don't, don't pull no religious crap on me. Don't give me no TED talk. What is the truth? That was a buy-in moment for people. I had somebody tell me, they were here at 930. Their buy-in moment was when I talked about money two weeks ago. That's crazy. You would think buy, you would think talking about money would not be their buy-in. That would be their fly-out moment. But the way we talked about money the transparency, and the honesty, and then just, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is what God expects. This is what God wants. This is what God can do. And they're like, I've never heard it like that. That's it, I'm in, I'm in. It's not one joker sitting there making all the decisions. It's not some deacon board with the pastor handcuffed in the broom closet making all this, This this is a collective spiritual organism here. For some of you, your buy-in moment was when I got up last week and told you, hey, we're going to downtown commerce, we're gonna buy that ball For some of you were like, yes, please. I'm in. Some of you were in way before that. Everybody's got a buy-in moment. It's where you go from believing here. What's this? I'm done. I'm done. You go from believing here. A buy-in is here. This Lord is proof I'm in." You know what happened? You know what happened in the story? Everybody was in so much agreement with God they had agreement with themselves. Their heart and their hand got on the same page. When your heart and your hand get in agreement, that's what produces a buy-in moment. They sold their land and in that situation, in that context. For those people, God put his hand on their land. God, what what do you want? I'm in. What do you want? I'm on board. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. I believe what the apostle said, that he ascended. I believe the spirit of God has descended and now indwells us. I believe what you're doing. I'm in. I see the lame man who's now been made whole. I hear the boldness and the power of God. I'm in. What can I do? And God said, I want your land. Holy, what? They probably didn't even have that blowback reaction that I would have. It was like, all right. They were in so much that when he said, I want your land, they went and sold it. And they had the money in their hand. Now, now, look, I'm just breaking this down for you. They had the money in their hand. And they brought it. And they laid it down. They sold and they bought in. Like, hey, I'm in. Here, here's the proof. I'm in. I'm not monkeying around. I'm not playing. I'm in. God put his hand on their heart. And their heart got in sync with their hand. Right here. Right here. Their heart got on sync, in sync with their hand. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had God put his finger on your heart? tell you to do something. Can we get honest? Has he ever told you to do something right here? And what he told you to do right here never made it right here. You ever had God point out something and say, hey, can we we do this? Can we agree on this? Yes, Lord, I agree. I agree. Let's take a T-bow. Amen. I agree, Lord. God's like, that's great. That's wonderful. I just want to know that what I put in your heart can end up in your hand whether that be money, whether that be change. Is your faith so real that action follows? And they were in agreement, and they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me ask you a question. What's God want from you? What's God want from you? He's putting his finger on a part of your heart, and the real test of your agreement is if your heart and your hand can on the same page. That's your buy-in moment. I'm in, Lord. I'm in. I want to take action and be a part of what you're doing. I'd say for all of us, the first step in that direction is next week when we put this chest right here and we open it up. There's going to be a worshipful, intimate atmosphere in this room. It's going to be special. It's going to be significant because together we're going to recognize we're doing this for God and we're doing this because we bought into it. We're in. And together we're going to come in age groups, and we're going to bring our best. And we're going to to do our part, and then we're going to let God do his. All right, Lord, here it is. I'm buying in. I'm I'm believing you for the best. I brought my best. I'm believing for the best. And then we're going to have to watch God do what he does. And when they're in the middle of building out that space over there, we're going to go over there, and we're going to pray in it. In the middle of it being constructed. We'll wait till they get stuff out of the ceiling that can kill us and then we'll go over there and we'll pray. And then we have that very fir- when we have that very first worship gathering. In that moment when we're breaking that place in and having church, we're going to know and it's going to be understood in the room in agreement. We were able to to do something about this and we did it and because we did it it happened we had a hand in this happening because our heart and our hand were in agreement I want you to stand with me